Welcome to ESG in 10, a podcast delving into the world of ESG 10 minutes at a time. We're your hosts, Charlotte O'Mara and Agnieszka Cochran, Senior ESG Specialists here at Fedante. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Fedante ESG in 10 podcast. In this podcast series, we will be delving into the world of ESG 10 minutes at a time to engage with our Fedante affiliates on their views on topical ESG themes across asset classes. Today, I'm delighted to welcome our very first guest to the podcast studio, Ian Sim, founder and chief executive of Impacts Asset Management, one of the world's leading investment managers dedicated to investing in the transition to a more sustainable economy. Ian has joined us today from the UK to discuss biodiversity loss, deforestation and the natural world, and how investors should consider these ESG risks and opportunities. Ian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Charlotte. It's great to be here. So biodiversity has become a very topical ESG issue in the market, but it's not a new issue for you at Impacts. What are the challenges that are facing the natural world and how do you think investors can tackle those? So it's really important to recognise how crucial biodiversity and nature are for human civilization, for life on Earth, if you like. We're dependent on nature for more than half of our wealth, our GDP. And um, in our food system, we are really crucially dependent on just two or three core food staples, which ultimately are grown in fields around the world. So very vulnerable to, um, to pests and to uh, issues around, around climate change. So biodiversity is sort of absolutely crucial to life on Earth, but I don't think people in the day to day really realise that. No, absolutely they don't. And um, in the UK, the Das Gupta review of the economics of biodiversity looked into biodiversity and the economics around biodiversity. Given how critical biodiversity is for the natural world and for life on Earth, how critical is it for economic stability? Well, at the moment, a lot of people around the world, and particularly in Australia, are talking about climate change and just how um, surprising and, and shocking the weather-related damage is at the moment. The thing about climate change is that we can do something about it if we reduce greenhouse gases, particularly carbon dioxide and methane emissions. And if you reduce a unit of CO2 or methane, then that does have a, uh, a small but direct impact on climate change. The thing about uh, nature and biodiversity is it's not a global... It's not the same problem globally, it's very local. And it's also very difficult to connect the uh, the damage with the impact, if you like. So for example, if a, if a company is polluting the water, then um, downstream, if there's a city, then the, the people in that city are going to suffer. But there's lots of other reasons why they might suffer from bad water, because there's other polluters, there might be fields that have got agricultural runoff. So attributing cause and effect is a real challenge. Mm, so it's really looking at it as a whole ecosystem and upstream and downstream impacts on that. Yeah, well, in the case of water supply, then regulators around the world have have realised this type of problem for a, a long period. And so they've regulated and, and um, restricted pollution that goes into the um, into local air quality um, or into local uh, water supply. But with nature, there's obviously a much broader range of of receptors or, or vulnerable areas, plants, um, animals. Um, and we're only just in the early stages of working out how to connect that cause and effect to work out you know, what's the damage 
what's the, the source of the damage on a particular um, crop or a particular um, species from a particular um, company. And so with these challenges, and there are great challenges, there's great complexity to this, there's also opportunity, and particularly from an investment perspective, and I know that's something you do look at at impacts. Where do you see the emerging trends in terms of investment opportunities and biodiversity? Well, I think the obvious place to start is food, and there's certainly a, a strong growth, rapid growth, if you like, in demand for food that doesn't have a, a damaging effect on nature. Organic food has been around for a while, but we're seeing rapid growth in, in demand for organic food and for, for retailers that specialise or, or exclusively sell organic food. The other related area, of course, is in the switch to plant-based diets, um, flexitarian-type approaches to, to eating, reducing meat. Um, meat is probably uh, an order of magnitude more intensive when it comes to demand for foodstuffs. And so if we're going to be um, improving nature and making biodiversity uh, more resilient, then reducing the amount of meat we eat is is going to be super helpful. Now, um, it's unlikely that governments are going to mandate that, but I think consumers are kind of voting with their feet, so to speak, and we're seeing a lot more demand for for vegetarian type um, foodstuffs and and and, and diets, um, vegetarian restaurants. Certainly, in London, becoming a, a very significant feature. Excellent. So watch this space to see how our diets change in response to some of these big issues like biodiversity and climate change. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so there's a lot of talk around the Task Force for Nature-Related Financial Disclosure. So a big acronym, um, a big word that is an acronym TNFD. How do you think the TNFD is likely to transform the market and the way we view biodiversity? Well, let's talk about risk. First of all, so um, alongside opportunity from uh, biodiversity-related business segments, if you like, is the the risk that companies are going to be affected by biodiversity loss and indirectly from regulation to to combat biodiversity loss. So, for example, businesses that are dependent on clean water, for example, a pulp and paper plant that's got a, a river flowing past it, is is going to be incentivized to look after the watershed upstream to make sure the quality of the water that's coming past its its mill and, and which it's sort of tapping into is high enough quality and is going to be there um, four seasons in the year. So um, the company does have an incentive, if it's thinking long term, to invest in, in preventing agricultural runoff upstream or potentially improving the resilience of the forest that's keeping the soil from um, falling into the river. So um, that pulp and paper mill has a biodiversity risk, which um, certainly as investors, we would be encouraging it to to be aware of and to think rationally about whether it should be spending some money to to um, improve the resilience of the water supply. So um, in that context, um, although climate change is sort of a major feature for major factor for investors who are thinking about risk, um, and we're in the early stages with the TCFD, the Task Force on Climate Related Financial Disclosures of working out how to categorize and report on risk, then biodiversity is, is the next big challenge. So um, using the example I've, I've just given, I think the Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosures is trying at an early stage to come up with a, a categorization, a taxonomy of biodiversity-related biodiversity risks and um, trying to come up with um, standardization and methodologies of how to analyze them. 
And uh, I know many investors in Australia are quite overwhelmed at the prospect of the TNFD and, and the data issues around that. What's your view and I guess your message to some of the investors in Australia around the TNFD? Well, I think uh, be patient and don't lose hope um, and actually be optimistic because the purpose of these task forces is to help investors with risk analysis and better allocation, capital allocation decisions. I think um, we're seeing with the TCFD that smart um, task force development plus sensible implementation by governments is producing a set of standards which are actually super helpful around calibrating climate risk and helping company management teams and boards to rationally think about what to do about climate risk. I think we can be equally hopeful about the TNFD. It is early, early days yet. It's going to be another nine to 12 months before we see the concrete results coming out. Um, it's a critical time for asset owners to be engaging with the TNFD. They're open to dialogue and, and consultation. So um, if you do have the bandwidth and ability to engage, then please reach out and, and talk to them. Uh, it shouldn't be seen as as inevitable red tape that's going to be uh, like a waste of money. It's supposed to be helpful. Uh, but we need to collaborate to, to make it a success. Absolutely. And I, I think like we've seen with climate, collaboration on these issues is, is really, really important. Right. Uh, thank you so much, Ian, for joining us today on the podcast. A very big topical issue, but one that we need to keep an eye out for into the future. Great. Thanks for having me. And that is a wrap for the inaugural episode of ESG in 10. If you like this episode and want to hear more about ESG investing at Fedante, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, where we will be releasing new episodes every few weeks. Please join me next week for a very special episode dedicated to International Women's Day, where I will be joined by Dr. Laura Ryan, Head of Research at Ardea, and Sinead Rafferty, Senior Investment Specialist at Fedante. This will be one not to miss. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to you joining us next time for ESG in 10 with Fedante.